Good morning. It's good to be here with you. Thank you for braving the snow to be out here. Um, and you, it's your lucky day because I'm going to start today with a confession for you. Um, I've been taking a class on spiritual formation, and this past week we talked about confessions. So here's my confession to you. I probably scroll on TikTok too much. Actually, that's not true. I definitely scroll on TikTok too much. And I'm saying this because I've recently been seeing these videos um, that I have no idea why TikTok wants me to see them, um, but they're videos of fighter jet crews. And I know next to nothing about fighter jets. Um, I don't really have a desire to, so this is not an invitation for anyone who does know about fighter jets to come to me after and be like, let me tell you. I assure you there's not enough space in my brain right now for that. Um, but TikTok thinks I should know about this. And, and maybe you've seen these videos too. In these videos, there's pilots and there's ground crew, and they have these like secret handshakes that they do that look really cool before the pilot gets into the plane. And then uh, the ground crew, like they're like doing their final checks and there's, they're doing these little dances. Like they're like, mm -hmm, like it looks really cool. And then the pilot responds, like finally they, they're like, okay, you can take off. And they do another like cool thing with their arms. And then the pilot responds with his signals like this or like, I don't know. Um, and then they launch off into the sky. <laughs> and I admit I enjoy watching these videos because um, it's very clear to, to me and to anyone who's watching these videos that they are a team that they are a community that is very tight-knit. And watching their little dances makes me feel really happy as an outsider. Now, I'm sure they're not stoked. They wouldn't be stoked to hear me call them little dances. I'm sure there's, like, more meaning than that. But, but here we are, and that's my confession for the morning. So I hope that you guys can support me and hold me accountable in that. Um, but today we're going to be looking at signals and signs that indicate that we are part of God's community as they emerged in the early church. And we might not have secret handshakes or little dances, although if you think we should, then come talk to me afterwards. But there are things that God clearly wants to exist among us as a community, as a people of God, to signal to the world that we are his church, that we are family. And so last week in the book of Acts, um, we looked at how the Holy Spirit came on the early church in power. And in Acts 2, verse 1, we read, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So they were already practicing community. And then a sound like a violent wind came, and, and what looked like tongues of fire uh, rest on each of them, and they spoke in different tongues, which were different languages. And people from all over the world, the known world at the time, could understand, and they began talking uh, about the mighty works of God. And then we see in Acts 2 that Peter preached a fire sermon, and in Acts 2.41, it tells us those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people. Let's just picture that for a minute. If we look around this room, there aren't even probably 300 people in this room right now. Just imagine 3,000 people. People from all over the, the world, different languages, we already saw that in the scripture, different preferences, different approaches to life. They, they probably ate different food and they probably had very little understanding of other cultures because they didn't have the fire hose of information that we have access to called the internet. And so that must have been chaos. Now, as, as an extrovert, I read these things and I'm like, yes, new friends, 3,000 new friends. But I know some of you are probably silently thinking, 
screaming, that's my nightmare. Like, I don't want that. And so with that picture in mind, let's look at this, this early church. Let's look at um, how Luke describes it, and we'll begin reading in Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the mighty wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon the early Christians. He made this chaos of 3,000 people work. These people didn't have a lot in common, but they wanted to be together and they wanted to do life together and they exemplified that ideal that we are to strive for here in our church. And now let me pause here and say that before we get too far into looking at this community and this example, and before we start to be like, oh, like we're terrible and start to condemn ourselves for where we fall short. I want to point out that this is an ideal picture. And it didn't last even for the early church. In fact, a couple, a couple chapters later in the book of Acts, we see it start to break down because humans are involved and we are fallen. And so even within uh, the, the next few chapters, we start to see members of the community deceiving each other. And then as the church spreads around the world, we see dysfunction in those communities that are popping up because of sin. And so what happens is a lot of what the apostles end up writing about in their epistles or their letters to those early churches is addressing the issues that were cropping up in those communities. So let's not condemn ourselves. But I don't say that to excuse us from taking a good look at, at what it looks like to pursue this ideal or to give us permission to just keep going with what we're doing and not examine what the call might be for us in this passage today. Because God called that church, what, that, what was happening there, he called that church. What's happening here, he calls this church. And he loved that church back then and he loves this church now. And so the picture of community is lofty and it's really intense. And if we don't achieve it perfectly, we're not sinning. And so let's rest in that fact. But we're still called to pursue this because community is important to God. And so it should be important to us. We're created in community to be in community. In Genesis 1, our origin story, it tells us that we were created in the image of God who, who created us to reflect that image to the world. And the members of Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always existed in this deep, loving, perfect community with each other. And so we believe, if we believe that we're created in the image of God, then we must acknowledge that we were created for community as well. God even proclaims it in Genesis 2. He creates Adam, the first human, and then he looks at him, and he says it's not good for man to be alone. And it points again to the fact that we are created for a community. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when the Holy Spirit comes on this early church in power, that we see early Christians forming a tight community. That this is what God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Spirit experience perfectly together. And it's what they want for us, for that community and for us here today. And so that's what the Spirit does. 
And it was a community that everyone took notice of because it was revolutionary and it was supernatural. You know, the church is how God chooses to bring his kingdom here on earth, to bring the order of heaven into the chaos of this earth. And isn't that what we've been talking about at Westview for the past few months, what we want to see happen here, that people who live in proximity to Westview take notice because of what the Spirit is doing in our midst. And not only that, but we want to see our church grow as a result of what he is doing, to see many added to our number. And we We believe that God is going to do that as we seek the Spirit's power, as we walk in faith, and as we grow in community together. And so let's take a look at this community and what they did that was so revolutionary. And there are four practices that they were devoted to together as a a community, and we're going to explore that today. And before I do that, I want to make it clear that these practices that they were devoted to happened with each other and not individually. And I point that out because the culture that we live in, in Canada and North America, is characterized by a radical individualism that touches everything that we do. Everything, even church, becomes something that I do. It becomes about my preferences. We often put our individual needs before the needs of the group, and, we can, and that can undercut the development of the kind of community that we're seeing here in Acts 2. And that's not what God wanted for us. We've already seen how the Godhead existed in loving community. And when Jesus came to earth, he didn't choose just one disciple. He chose many disciples. And when we're adopted by God into his family, we're not adopted as an only child. We're adopted into a large global family where we have brothers and sisters all over the world. And the Apostle Paul in his letters to the early church even uh, even referred to Jesus as our Lord in his letters 53 times and as my Lord only one time. So community was a big deal. I was reading a book this week by Joseph Hellerman and he writes, Paul's driving passion was to establish spiritually vibrant, relationally healthy communities of believers in strategic urban settings throughout the Roman Empire relationally healthy communities. And he also writes, the New Testament picture of the church as a family flies in the face of our cultural orientation. So being a community or a family of believers was important to God, and so it has to be important to us and to our testimony to the world around us. It's the first part of our mission statement here at Westview, to be a community pursuing the restoration of all people and all things through a living relationship with Jesus. And this is countercultural. And it's going to require something of us. It's going to require us to take a look at our lives and maybe think about how we have to live different. And so let's look at this vision of community together and consider the call that this passage might have for us as a church. So this crowd of early Christians just had this experience of of the Holy Spirit and masses of people have joined their ranks of followers and they entered into a period of intense discipleship where they devote themselves to four practices and that's what we're going to look at today. When I say the word devoted, I mean an ongoing perseverance or persistence in something. And it speaks of the unity of the mind that these 3,000 people were all together focusing on these four things. This community of early Christians had to take the power that they'd received and form tangible practices around it because 
that would allow them to use that power um, responsibly and effectively. Otherwise, they couldn't contain the wind and fire that they'd experienced. And so this community began to actively form its members and change what was happening within them. And the goal of these faith practices was to produce a distinct identity, to produce common language, to set priorities for the community, and then to build a community that can carry each other's joys and burdens, holding fast, being of one mind and devoted to these practices. And so what were these practices that they were persisting and persevering in? Well, we see a list of them in uh, Acts 2, 42 and 43. So let's read that together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And as a result, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So here's the four practices. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These are what the Spirit was using to build the faith of these Christians. And we're going to take a closer look at each of these so that the Spirit can build our faith as a community as well. And so first, let's take a look at the apostles' teaching. Now, this would have been vital for these early Christians because a lot of these people would maybe have never heard the message of Christ before they heard Peter preach. And so for many of them, it was their first time hearing about it and experiencing him through the Spirit. And so they needed to hear more. They needed to learn to be formed into the likeness of Christ. And they had to know him in order to understand what was happening in them. And so through the teachings of the apostles, they heard Christ-centered messages every day. The teachings would have been foundational things like talking about his resurrection and the Old Testament scriptures and the apostles' eyewitness experience of hanging out with Jesus and moral teachings about how to live in light of all of this. And these are the kinds of teachings that we see all through the apostles' letters as we read the Bible because they continued to teach that as they planted more and more churches. And now you might hear this and and think to yourself, well, got it, I read my Bible, check. Or I come to church, I listen to the sermon, so I'm good. The early Christians needed to hear those teachings because they weren't so well known back then and they, they didn't have the Bible yet. And so I have the Bible, so I've got that covered. And I'll admit that there are times when I thought that too. But here's what was happening in this passage. These early Christians were being formed by the stories of Jesus. They weren't just learning facts about him. They weren't just like taking history lessons. They had this powerful experience and this conversion and they needed to know the source of that power and now to be and how to be formed into the character of Christ and how to have a mature relationship with him. And the apostles had been with Jesus in human form and our passage tells us that they did many signs and wonders that filled everyone with awe. And if you were in this group of early Christians, wouldn't you also want to know how to do that, how to perform these signs and wonders that filled people with awe? Don't you want that now? The answer is the same for us as it was for them. We need to know Jesus in order to learn how to do these things. When I was in Vancouver a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to attend a book release event for one of my favorite authors, John Mark Comer. And the book he just released is called Practicing the Way, and it's a really great book, and I just put it in the library, so they don't have it in circulation yet, but I recommend checking it out when it, when it is. Um, but one of the reasons why I respect John Mark Comer so much is that he made discipleship or being a student of Jesus something that's very accessible. 
And he boils the process down to three categories. And they are be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And this is what was happening with the disciples who had been with Jesus physically. The disciples had learned from Jesus how to access the power of the Spirit because that's how Jesus operated, and they became more like him in that process. And now they were doing what he did, and that's available to us as well. In fact, right before he dies, Jesus tells his followers in John 14 too, very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. It's the same passage where he promises to send the Holy Spirit to help us and to operate in power in his absence among his people, which is exactly what was happening here in Acts 2. And so the disciples had been with Jesus, and they had been formed by the living word And they were living the promise from Jesus and doing things that he had done and even greater things than he had done. And sometimes we look at Jesus' life and and we see him do these miracles and we're like, well, obviously he can do that because he's God. And that's true. But when Jesus was doing those miracles, he was also demonstrating what a real, true human being who is walking in the power of the Spirit is capable of. And one of the main ways that we be like Jesus today is through the Bible, through the devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to the actual complete Bible that we have access to today. In this practice, we get to know Jesus. We get to see how he's filled up with the Holy Spirit. And then we do what he did so that we can also be filled with the power of the Spirit and allow ourselves to be formed by these scriptures so that we can look like Jesus. That's what the new Christians in Acts were doing, and that's the invitation for us. And so I ask you today, is this true in your life? Do you devote yourselves to reading and meditating on the Bible? One way that you know if if this is true in your life is, is if the scriptures are really forming you. Like, are you really changed by your practices of devotion to the scriptures? Or do you merely read the Bible to know things, Or check it off your list of things that you're supposed to do to be a good Christian. And then you go about your day. Or do these teachings that we have at our fingertips really, truly transform you and renew your thought patterns and your attitudes? Sometimes I think that in our modern age, uh, we believe that we're more evolved and spiritually mature than these Christians were. But we still need to devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles that we find in the Bible. And here's why. Because we live in a culture of lies. And we need the truth of Jesus to dive, drive deep into us and to show us the lives that we are believing, the lies that we're living, and maybe even perpetuating to other people. We need Jesus' teachings to speak to the core of our being to turn over the soil of our inner lives and reveal the anxious ways and the destructive patterns that we've been living. We're being formed constantly by the world that we live in. TikTok is forming me, or trying to form me, into someone who cares about fighter jet crews. And John Mark Comer writes this, for those of us who desire to follow Jesus, here is the reality we must turn and face. If we're not being intentionally formed by Jesus himself, then it's highly likely we are unintentionally being formed by someone or something else. 
And he also said in a recent sermon, people who scroll on social media every day tend to become anxious, angry, or insecure. People who spend hours every day watching dirty TV tend to become lustful and compulsive and addictive. We become like whatever it is we gaze upon, whether it's TV or the Trinity. Therefore, the yellow line down the middle of the pathway of becoming like Jesus is looking at Jesus. And so the early church devoted themselves to looking at Jesus through the apostles' teaching. And so what are you looking at? What are you becoming? Do you devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the scriptures? Are you captured by the gospel? Is it head knowledge that you have yet to get lived? Maybe you don't have the answers to all of those questions, and I think some of those are going to be answered as we continue to look at the practices of the early, early church, and so let's, let's continue to look at those. The second practice that they devoted themselves to was called fellowship, and this is actually divided into two different practices. The first was sharing everything in common. And we see that in verse 44 where it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This fellowship wasn't just like, we're doing a hangout, okay, bye. It was way beyond that. People in this community felt at home with each other, growing close enough that they could share their needs that they had and genuinely rejoice with each other and encourage and support each other in all of the ways that they needed. These early Christians were nurtured by, they nurtured habits of hospitality with one another and they became family. They overcame these differences of living in different places and speaking different languages and having all these different preferences so that they could walk in love and acceptance of one another. Friends, there is a spirit of rejection that has come upon humankind in our cultural moment. Many of us have experienced things like estrangement and abandonment and trauma and loneliness, and we live with the knowledge that we're not who we, are, we were created to be. And we've tried to subdue those feelings through other things, through maybe approval-seeking behaviors or addictions or anger or hiding or faking it till we make it. We're trying to find satisfaction in a substitute. Basically anything that we think will give us what we feel we need deep down in our souls. But what anyone who's experiencing this actually needs is a place where they can experience a real sense of connection to and belonging with others. And ultimately, through those things, the love of Christ that's lived out by his followers who are being formed by him and by his teachings. The community of believers in Acts were actively embodying this, and the call for us is to live different and embody this as well. The relationships of our world are very transactional and short-term. As a youth pastor, I read a book called Hurt by Dr. Chap Clark, where he outlines his research discoveries about what teens need from youth pastors and youth leaders in their lives. And that is unconditional relationships that are not contingent on anything. Because generally speaking, every relationship teenagers have with adults has expectations attached. 
Teachers want them to do well in school, and parents want them to behave and to succeed, and coaches want them to excel in their chosen sport, and so on and so on. And so what they need to experience from youth leaders is a place to safely be themselves, to safely experience love and acceptance no matter what they do or don't do, no matter what they accomplish or don't accomplish. And in the same way, people who are experiencing the spirit of rejection in the world need to experience that kind of acceptance and unconditional love. And in order to do this, we must go in the opposite way from the short-term transactional relationships to long-term, deep, loving relationships. God wants to heal the hurt that we've experienced from this rejection and the wounds that that has caused in all of us. And so he does that by welcoming us back into his home and into his family, complete with siblings and all, where we can experience a different kind of community that points us to him and his lavish love for us. It's one of the indications of being formed into the likeness of Jesus and that the Spirit uh, accomplishes in us because Jesus' ultimate act of generosity was to give his life, give his actual life for each of us so that we could live and we could know God's healing and restoration and his love in our lives. And when we truly see that radical generosity extended to us, it inspires us to become radically generous towards each other. Now, I'm not a naturally a generous person. And I know that maybe this strikes anxiety and discomfort into the hearts of other people when we talk about uh, giving things away, selling our possessions to give to other people because we like our stuff and we like our space. And again, the individual culture, the individualist culture that we live in teaches us to look after our own needs and our own wants first and to work hard for what we have. And then we believe that we have those things because we deserve them and we're entitled to them and we can do what we want with them. But in this community, we see the Spirit working powerfully to convict these early Christians of the generosity of grace that they've been shown. And then the result was radical hospitality and joyous generosity to everyone around them. The depth of fellowship and the mutual care in this community showed that it was functioning with the love and compassion that only comes from God in the way that they met each other's material needs. And I want to point out again that these acts of generosity were not mandatory. Acts 5 tells us that, and we're going to get into that story in a few weeks, so I'm not going to go into it here. But the point here is that this community was motivated by concern for each other's needs. And they sought to do whatever they could to provide for those needs on an ongoing basis because of how Jesus had provided for our very deepest needs. And so how can we do that as a community? My encouragement to you today is to spend some time asking the Spirit to show you how you specifically can do that to be part of this community because there are many, many ways. Maybe you do have the ability to meet someone's material needs. And it's awesome if you can, so go for it. But what does it look like to be generous also with our time and our attention? What I would also love to see happening in Westview week after week is that everyone in this room would be meeting a variety of needs that exist among us. Like relational needs, who is sitting close to you who seems to be alone and, and not included? Who maybe needs to be invited out for lunch? 
who needs to just be known and seen and heard in this moment? And who needs to hear a word from God or receive prayer for something? And are you the person to do that? I had the opportunity to attend Bridgetown Church when I was in Portland recently. And after the service, I saw something that I don't know that I've ever seen before in a church service. As soon as the service was over, um, we were like standing up and gathering our things. And, and this young woman who was sitting in front of me, she was probably in her mid-20s, she turned to the person beside her and she just said, I, have, I feel like I have a word for you from God. Do you mind if I share it and pray with you? And it was a special thing for me to witness, and I'm sure it was a special thing for that person to experience. And I didn't stick around to hear more or see how it turned out, but I was struck by this young woman's willingness to listen to God and then to put herself out there to share what she thought God was saying with her neighbor who was a complete stranger. That was an example to me of practicing hospitality in a special way of extending a portal of belonging in a moment and meeting a need and overcoming the spirit of rejection in that particular moment. And so let's ask ourselves today, how can we overcome the spirit of rejection in this particular moment that we find ourselves in? Operating with this type of mutual care is one of the ways that we get the Bible lived in our lives, moving from just head knowledge to profoundly impacting how we live. The third practice that they were devoted to was the breaking of bread. And like I said, it falls under fellowship, but this looked different. In verse 46, we read, Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The early church persisted in meeting in church together, but this fellowship extended beyond the church walls into their homes where they broke bread and they ate together and they had glad and sincere hearts as they did that. And breaking bread here refers to meals that they enjoyed together. It likely included the Lord's Supper and breaking bread might, might have that, that ring to it, that connotation for you. But these communal meals not only served as a remembrance of, of Jesus' sacrifice, but also a symbol for the unity and the love and the fellowship that they enjoyed together. They enjoyed their fellowship in their everyday environments, and because of this, they were filled with joy, which turned into praising God, and which made them find favor with the people around them. And it points to the fact that these new Jesus followers weren't just this insular crew or this like exclusive club and like good luck if you want to get in. There, this was a vibrant community that not only extended itself to God, but it extended itself to its neighbors. And because of, because of that, there was evidence of spirit-filled power in their midst and they enjoyed the favor of all people. Now, these meals and times of connection were important for strengthening the community. You know, they were, they were likely hanging out and having a lot of fun, but Jesus was always at the center of what they were doing. And other practices that we've talked about already probably overflowed into these times and filled them with joy. And it's one way that we can, de can deepen our connection with each other as well. It gives us the opportunity to include the outcast and to include the, the lonely. And it's another way that we're formed. Because when we're operating in deep and authentic relationship with each other, we're sharpened. 
For example, single people need married people in their lives so that they can see examples of what godly marriages look like. And likewise, families need single people in their lives so that kids who are growing up can see what it means to honor and glorify God and live a life of passion and obedience when things haven't turned out as planned or when it requires sacrifice. Younger generations can benefit from the wisdom of older generations. And I also believe that we have a lot to learn from kids that about following Jesus and practicing faith without the inhibitions and the hang-ups that we tend to have in adulthood. Our community can gently, or not so gently, call us back to the ways of Jesus when we start to wander. And it can hold us accountable to the ways that we know we need to change, that the Spirit is calling us to change in our lives. And in this type of community, we learn to get the Bible known and lived because we see each other doing it. And we can learn from those examples. When we're doing life together, in this type of authentic relationship, we're formed into the likeness of Christ more deeply. And Jesus was always either coming from a meal or going to a meal. So we're following his example. When I was at the John Mark Comer book release, I had the chance to chat briefly with him because I obnoxiously want to be friends with everybody. And I asked him advice on forming deep community within a church. And his immediate response was, eat together. Like he didn't even miss a beat. He said some other stuff, but that was the top of the list. And that's why, as Charlie mentioned, All Our Welcome Wednesdays, we include food because it builds community. It's an easy way to do that. It allows us to welcome others from the outside into our midst. And I believe that through All Our Welcome Wednesdays, we have made strides in our community, in the depth of the community that we enjoy here at Westview because we have eaten together, but we still have ground to cover. And so here's the good news. It probably means more meals in our future. Maybe those are going to be corporate meals. Sometimes they'll be smaller in smaller group settings, maybe in our homes. But the Bible tells us that when God, God's kingdom comes fully on earth, we're going to enjoy a massive banquet with him. And so by eating and celebration together, the early church as a community, we're bringing God's kingdom on earth in a simple way. And likewise, when we eat together and share a meal, we also bring God's kingdom on earth. It seems so simple, but it makes sense because we all have to eat, right? So let's do it. Let's do it with others as much as we can so that we can form these deep relationships, so that we can be formed together and to be a witness to the world. The last practice that the early Christians practiced was prayer. And not much is said in our passage about prayer, and so I'm not going to go too deep into it, but we are going to see it in action through the rest of the book of Acts, and so we'll be exploring the role that prayer plays in the community later on. But for now, I want to point out that the fact that this community was one of prayer was important to Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, and so it's important to us. This community intentionally sought God's direction, and they embodied dependence on God. And as a community seeking to live differently in the world, prayer is important for us as well because it brings us under submission to God's rule in our lives and it prevents us from just living according to like whatever we feel or our intuition and the individualism that we tend towards. 
And I love that we've been having more prayer times in our service where anyone can come forward and receive prayer because praying alone is fine and it's great. But there's something about praying with someone where you can be lifted up to the Father, where they can listen to the Father on your behalf and then speak words into your life. Jesus needed some of his close disciples when he went to the Garden of, e- uh, Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross to wrestle with what was about to happen with him. And so if the Son of God in human form needed his friends to pray for him, then we need it too. So let's just embrace that. Prayer was one of the practices that under, was underlying all of this other activity that strengthened and deepened this community and brought the formation that we see in this passage. And so let's be people of prayer, pressing in evermore to align ourselves with God and to seek his power. So those are the four practices. And maybe I haven't said anything groundbreaking or revolutionary to you, but I want to speak to why this is all important. And I want to do that through a story I recently heard about Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, that I believe drives home the importance of community. Uh, For those of you who don't know, he was a Christian living in Germany during World War II, and he actively opposed the Nazis. And one of the ways that he did that was through establishing underground seminaries to train up pastors to continue to lead churches and to subvert the Nazi agenda and to preach the gospel. And it was hard going because he had to keep things funded and he had to find people and he had to make sure that they weren't spies and they had to avoid detection from the Gestapo. And so one day he was sharing about these difficulties and a student came to him and said, if it's so hard, if it feels like this losing battle, why are we still doing this? And in response, Bonhoeffer took him on a hike up the mountains near where they were and they came to a point where they could look one way And they could see their humble little community, their humble little seminary that they were a part of, that they were hiding from the Nazis and they were instrumental in bringing the order of God's kingdom to the chaos of earth in such a terrible moment in history. And then when they looked in the other direction, they could see a Nazi airfield with Nazi youth marching up and down and up and down and up and down. And so Bonhoeffer pointed back to this little seminary And then he pointed to this airfield and he said, this must be stronger than that. And that is why understanding the practices of the early church and implementing them into our lives as a community is important because we live in a world that's hostile to the ways of Jesus. Not only from people who might be hostile towards us as Christians, but also in the way that it aggressively forms us into ways that are not aligned with the way of Jesus or his word. And so this must be stronger than that. Our community must be strong enough to strengthen us, to walk in the ways of Jesus as we go about our everyday lives. And so the call for us is to live differently. And the path to doing that successfully is to surround ourselves with like-minded people who are living in the same way, who are devoted to the word of God and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Because the Christian faith changes how we live. It changes how we view property ownership and how we meet others' needs and how we understand something as basic as a meal. And the spiritual practices outlined in this passage are how we get there. How we become stronger than the world that is challenging us 
so that we can live out a powerful testimony by the Spirit that is a witness to the world. At the end of our passage, when the early Christians um, did all of these things, we read in Acts 2.47, the result, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So Lord, may it be so in our lives. I pray that you would come in power. Holy Spirit, would you come? Unite us as a community that reflects what you are doing here in this passage. Form us into people who are changed by your word, who are engaging in radical fellowship that meets the needs of others and brings us together to experience the joy of being with each other and with you. And that seeks more of you, more of your power, more of your presence and walking in the promise that we, as we are with Jesus, become more like Jesus and that we will do what he did and we will do even greater things than these. Increase our trust in you, help our unbelief, and help us to step out in faith today to be a powerful testimony to those around us who do not know you through how we live and care for others, for your glory and for your name. Amen.